With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the big storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, May 25th. New hotel room, same topic. I am still here in Orlando for the home stretch of the 2021 college tennis season. The Division One NCAA Men's and Women's Singles and Doubles Championships happening this week at the USTA National Campus in Lake Nona. It has been such a privilege for me to be able to be on the call with our friends over on the Tennis One app. It's been so fun to be joined by people like Andy Katz, Mark Lucero, Luke Jensen, the usual T1 crew. We always have a good time. And of course, that CrowdView Live experience so different than your typical broadcast. We don't just have to focus on the matches. We're able to explore some broader topics facing college tennis. We're also able to jump around much like we do during our Crack Rackets Red Zone coverage. So sincerely, it has been such a blast for me to be able to continue to be a part of this event. I'm not going to say who I was with last night, but the other perks of being in Orlando is to be able to be on the ground, to have the conversations that, you know, Matt, Chris, and I have every week here on this podcast and to be able to have those conversations with the coaches and the players we are so frequently talking about. It has been such a privilege for me to be able to interact with all of these Division I athletes, coaches. They've embraced everything we've done here at Cracked Rackets and we're so appreciative of that fact. And, you know, last night I was at, I think it's called the Rocks and Brews. I'm not going to name the coaches I was with, but there were a bunch of them. I will name the other professional players that showed up. My guys, Alex Lawson, Robert Galloway, if you've followed these podcasts you know that challenger doubles duo working their way up the ATP rankings. Those are my guys. That's my team moving forward. They happened to make an appearance last night there as well. And look, there was a lot of talk. I'm not going to say who said what. I'm not going to reveal any trade secrets. It was all off the record, but I got a lot of background information that I am certain is going to make me a better podcaster, not just here through the rest of the week, but certainly as we continue our college tennis coverage here at Crack Rackets. Now, I know what some of you may be thinking. Another college tennis podcast, particularly Alex, when the French Open is right around the corner and we haven't talked pro tennis in a bunch of weeks here at Crack Rackets. Well, a couple of things on that note. A, we have talked professional tennis. If you go check out our Great Shot podcast feed, my guys, Damian Kust, Jakob Babro, continue their weekly episodes breaking down everything that happens at the ATP Challenger level. I know on Monday they talked to Nassi Kokonakis, they talked Carlos Alcaraz breaking the top 100, and of course, they discussed an always buzz topic, the uh, merits of wild cards. And of course, uh, some of you listeners may know French Open qualifying happened this week. So many of the people participating in qualifying on the men's side compete week in, week out at the ATP Challenger level. Now, again, rest assured, the pro tennis content it's coming. Ben Rothenberg officially scheduled. That podcast is going to be released either Wednesday night or early Thursday. My guy, Gil Gross, coming on the podcast as well. That pod's going to be recorded on Thursday. Hopefully, we'll get it out Thursday afternoon. If not, 
We'll try to get that all to you guys by Friday. And then this weekend, we're going to bonus podcast just again. A, allow me a chance to share my extended thoughts. I haven't really done the full deep dive into the French Open. I've dipped my toes. I'd say I'm in the shallow end. I've got, you know, I've gotten my torso wet. It's not fully submerged in the waters that are the French Open, but I'm starting to, again, dabble my feet in the pro tennis content, make that return. But on this podcast, I want to talk about the NCAA individual event. Of course, it's not the French Open that it matters for, but if an American is able to win this tournament, they're going to get a quali- uh, not only uh, a bunch of different qualifying wild cards, I suppose, everywhere, but they're going to get a main draw wild card, is what I was trying to say, into the U.S. Open if an American man or an American woman can capture the singles title. Of course, finalists are going to get qualifying wild cards into the year's final Grand Slam as well. So this NCAA individual tournament, it matters. It is significant to the pro tennis season, the pro tennis circuit, and some of the players and names we might see emerge over the next few months of the summer. But again, I want to focus on day three's results because we had some fantastic singles performances. I'm recording this at about 5 p.m. Eastern time. Doubles not slated to start till 6. I do want to talk about the first day of results in doubles. And then, you know, it's it's really tough to make any predictions to really break down the doubles results because, of course, can you make your 10 returns? Did you miss more than, you know, you made in terms of the returns? If you did, you probably lost. If you made more than you missed, you probably won the match. Doubles such a toss-up, particularly in the no-ad format. So... You know, I do want to talk about the teams that were most noticeable, most impressive, I suppose, through day one, but going to spend more time breaking down the singles because we've got some spectacular matches on our hands. We've had some spectacular results already unfold. I was having this conversation. I don't want to butcher his name, but former UVA, my guy over at Technifiber, Philippe, I I want to call Here's the thing. He told me how to pronounce it yesterday. It's just so ingrained in my head to pronounce it Udzehorn, and that's not it. It's like Udze. I'm going to butcher it. He's also got a son out the way, uh, coming on the way. So shout out to my main man, Phil. Please text me just a voice memo if you hear this podcast of how to properly pronounce your name. Again, I've been following you since 2011 when he was at Virginia, and I've always pronounced it Udzahorn. I know that's wrong. Again, he corrected me yesterday. Enough on the Phil Udzahorn tangent. The point is we were having a conversation, and we were talking about the depth of this men's singles event. It legitimately feels like we've got, I don't know, six, seven, maybe even all eight quarterfinalists playing at a top 200 level. And he thinks some of these guys, you know, multiple of them can go on to be top 100 pro players. And that's not something you say coming out of every NCAA tournament. Of course, on the women's side, We've still got a player who's work, uh, potentially going to win back-to-back singles title. My girl, EPS, Estela Perez-Somariba, continues to play better and better as this tournament progresses. Of course, the GOAT, Sarah Davitella, she's still alive as well. Uh, you know, Duke sophomore Georgia Drummy was so good during the dual match season. She continues to impress. So there's a lot of fun action for us to discuss here on today's podcast. Of course, the reason I'm able to do that day in, day out here on the Mini Break Show is because of the support we get from all of you listeners, from our Crack Rackets Patreon family, and of course, from our friends at Midwest Sports. Go to MidwestSports.com, use that promo code CR15 to get 15% off your order, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75, and best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls, MidwestSports.com. The promo code is CR15. With that in mind, let's get into it. And I know my mother raised me well. It's always ladies first here on the show, except today, because I have 
have to talk about these men's singles results. They were literally the impetus for me coming back in between the singles and doubles to my hotel room because I was that excited, that eager to talk about how high level of play we are seeing right now on the grounds in Lake Nona. And let's start with the number one seed. Who's a survivor? He's gonna get ya. I'm talking Liam Draxel. That guy can play. I apologize for the singing, but... You know, Liam gets so excited on court, he always brings something creative. He once chanted at someone, this is even, this is his best surface and I'm still beating him. I mean, someone who has the gumption to say that to their opponent, he deserves the opening segment here of the podcast. And you talk about Liam Draxel, the, I believe, second year freshman, I want to say, for Kentucky. He was 21-2. and two. This season, so obviously he thoroughly earned that number one seed to go twenty-one and two in SEC play. That is no slouch of a task, and he you know he was one of the top ten juniors in the world. I want to say Liam Draxel before coming to college. He's part of that FAA Dennis Shapovalov, Alexi Galarno uh, quartet. You know Ben Seguin. I apologize for not including him, but part of that generation of young, talented Canadian men players, uh, male players who just. Felt he needed an additional, some additional seasoning over at for a season at Kentucky. And look, he has been sensational this week. It feels like Liam Draxel. It's you know I use this metaphor all the time: a death by a thousand paper cuts sort of player. That's Liam Draxel. He doesn't hit the miraculous forehand. He doesn't hit you know the the huge serve the. ATP level forehand winner on the plus one ball, but he just does a little bit of everything well, and perhaps best of all. It's just the way he competes. You talk about Draxel was down a match point and then down 4-1 in the tiebreaker in his first match against John McNally, a match in which he dropped the first set. I think it was a 6-2 scoreline. Ends up coming back, you know, 2-6-6-1-7-6. Yesterday against Axel Neve, same deal. He drops the first set to the talented Notre Dame player before coming back and winning in three. And today, another three-set victory for him over Adam Walton uh, in this instance. Again, it's a 7-5 in the third. Walton was actually up 5-3 in the third set. And I have to say, um, to be honest, I feel like that, you know, down 5-3 in the third, I know that's crazy, but I think that's exactly where Liam Draxel likes to be because um, that's just when his best stuff begin uh, begins to come out. He's such a tough competitor and just his ability to flash that energy and just, you know, again, get excited, get amped, pump himself up, embrace the crowd, whether they're for or against him. And it's not like we have the 500 plus people we had at the team final, but there's still a healthy Kentucky contingent, a healthy Tennessee contingent. And, you know, again, Adam Walton, it's kind of like the Spider-Man meme. I would say it's one of those... um, Walton and Draxel are very much copies of similar style, not copies of one another, but they play similar styles of tennis. Both of them are going to take away what the opponent does best. They're going to use their speed. They're going to use their you know ability to play in the outer thirds of the court, and then they're going to turn defense into offense as well as anyone. And you know neither guy's got the overwhelming serve, the overwhelming first forehand, as I mentioned, but. This match was just a great and great competition. Now, the place where they very much uh, diverge, I suppose, is their personalities. Draxel's so fiery. He's an extrovert in terms of his emotion. You know, Walton, again, stone-cold killer, but he's able to stay calm, and he does, I suppose, that emotion, his, his competitiveness doesn't manifest itself visibly other than to say his effort, which is relentless as always, but this match was physical. 
This match was grimy. There were slices. There were, you know, loopy balls buying each other time. There were the moon balls when I'm on the stretch to try and get the point back to zero. There's, oh, I'm going to let that ball bounce and play it as an overhead. Well, the joke's on you because I'm fast enough as a returner uh, to track down your overhead, and then I'm turning that defense into offense. And look, what was so funny is that, uh, you know, Draxel was up, I believe, 3-2 a break of serve in the third set. Walton then rips off three straight games to go up 5-3. I believe Draxel then held 4-5-4. Walton had the chance to serve out the match. He wasn't able to do it. Oh, no, no, It was the other way around. Walton served for the match 5-3. He wasn't able to do it. And then, you know, 5-4, he gets to 30-40. He has two more match points on Liam Draxel. Draxel's able to come up with two. You know, when I say he doesn't have a weapon of a first serve, it's not like the obvious weapon like Blumberg where it's served plus one ball, the point is over. But Draxel came up with a big serve and a big serve plus one. Fights off the two match points, gets us to five all, and then again, now he's got momentum on his side. Liam Draxel is never more dangerous than when he's just broken you and held and fought off match points for five all. You're just, it's so hard to beat him. He's such a good competitor and he's a very polarizing player because talking on the grounds, some people don't love his antics. You know, he fell on his back after winning his first round match over John McNally. To do that as the number one seed after winning a round of 64 match, it's like, well, what are you going to do when you make the quarterfinals? What are you going to do when you make the semifinals? If you've already done the lay on the ground, spreading your arms and legs celebration, but that's just part of Liam Draxel's, I would say, charm, shall I say, his ability to just Again, he just he's so fiery. He embodies everything that college tennis is about. And, you know, barring, I think, him winning a couple of challengers, ripping off some ridiculous pro results, I think we're going to get him back in college tennis next season. And I think that's something all of us can be so excited for because, again, I'm sorry for the cliche, the metaphors. He fits into college tennis like a hand in a glove. He is everything the sport is supposed to be about for the number one seed to be down first sets in all three of his first round matches reach the quarterfinals you know it wasn't an easy draw either McNally Neve Adam Walton Draxel's a stud and he has certainly put himself in a position he's earned his way here uh, you know you can't say he lucked his way into this you can't say the draw was soft he has earned his spot in the quarterfinals and now he's got a really fun matchup as he is going to take on I believe Gabriel DeCamps I don't believe I know it's Gabriel DeCamps of UCF DeCamps knocking off Luke Famba today uh, in three sets and you know DeCamps 17-4 and four on the year for UCF he was a top 10 player in the country by ranking for the majority of the season he's a bigger guy big serve can play the bigger tennis he'll give Draxel some more free points than say Neve did or Adam Walton in particular did but you know again we saw McNally I would say that's a pretty fair approximation to DeCamps in terms of the way they try to attack you and be the aggressor but Again, you can't give that an Axel. Uh, Axel, you can't give Liam Draxel anything for free, and I think he will benefit from the fact that Camps may give him an error or two more than these other opponents. But you know, three three set matches in three consecutive days. Do you think he's tired? No, he's a twenty nineteen year old kid, whatever it may be, who just loves the fight, loves the atmosphere. He's been a pleasure to watch, and he advances to your quarterfinals. Where again, he's going to take on Gabriel DeCamps, and it's worth noting DeCamps, first player in UCF history to make the quarterfinals of this individual event. He's been playing so, so well. And for, you know, the Knights who got the women into the round of 16, the men had their best season in program history, earned their first NCAA win in program history, but weren't able to make the NCAA round of 16 play in front of their home fans. Such a good feeling for Gabriel DeCamps to be able to do that. You talk about him, obviously. I think he is a junior, so he's still got another year to go as well. And 
it's a dangerous prospect because, you know, I doubted Gabriel DeCamps. I thought he was overranked perhaps earlier in the season. He's not. He really is that good. A fantastic win for the 6'4 junior from Sao Paulo. He's going to advance again. A fun contrast of styles tomorrow between he and uh, Liam Draxel. We talk about him enough. Just give me my two seconds on Will Blumberg. He's the favorite. Like, I'm sorry. He is the favorite. And the draw, after being miserable through his first two matches, to have to play Cannon Kingsley and Hattie Habib in the round of 64, round of 32, that's a joke. It's an absolute joke, and we've talked about that already. But, look, Will got through both of those matches in straight sets. He overcame early break deficits as well in first sets for both of them. Today was all business, and he beat Gabriel Dialu very, very badly. The you know for Kentucky to have two players seated in the top sixteen, that's a testament to what they're building in Lexington. And my guy Matt, I talked about you know Pepperdine assistant coach Pete Billingham, my boy Matt, the assistant over at Kentucky. Those were my two coaches when I went and visited Saddlebrook when I was. 15, 16 years old, uh, didn't just wanted to do a camp, get ready for the high school season to perform my best. Anyways, those were my, I, I just, it's very funny to me. It's such a small world, right? The tennis community is so knit and Matt and Pete are my guys and I could draw a direct line for them embracing the talk that my friend Blake Burstein and I had when we were down there because that's just what I've always done when I've been a part of the tennis community and they embraced it and they made the world of it. I remember I was talking a lot of smack to Matt and he goes, all right, that's another side to side. Let's do this drill again. And I, I yacked. And it was it wasn't intentional by him, but it was just to push me to the edge. I was like, "What are you going soft? Like, is this what they do at Coastal Carolina?" He's like, "Oh, you think I'm soft? Let's try it again." And it was a blast. Like, again, it was one of those pukes that was worthwhile because we were working our tails off, but having fun. Anyways, uh, it's a testament to Kentucky they were able to get two players into the round of 16. But man, Blum's fit. He's healthy. He's confident. He's striking the ball so well. And, you know, Diallo wanted to trade forehands. You know what you never want to do? Trade forehands with Will Plumberg. He was sensational today. I think it was like a 3-1 and one victory. They haven't updated the draws yet, but I know Will cruised in that match. And, again, he's serving well. He's moving forward. Uh, he's returning really well also. And I think the fact that he's still alive in doubles with Cernok is only going to serve to help his return moving forward. And now he's going to face a guy who he's already beaten this year in Adrian Boitan. And look, under normal circumstances with the firepower Boitan plays with him, again, I was at the National Indoors. I think Will beat him like 7-5, 7-6 in that moment. You normally think this match is a toss-up, but you know, Boitan played the entire team event through the final, and now he's played two, uh, now three three-set matches to reach the quarterfinals. It was a three-set win for him today over San Diego's August Holmgren. I may have butchered that pronunciation, that first name. I apologize. And look, again, you listen to the ball coming off of Adrian Boitan's racket. He's in the FAA, the Rublev camp, where it just sounds like a cannon is taking off. And sometimes that ball hits the back fence, but when it's landing and when he's feeling confident, we've talked about it, there's the Boitan zone. If he hits the Boyton zone tomorrow, yeah, he can absolutely beat Will. But just physically, I don't know how much he has left in the tank. And I know how much Will Blumberg has left in the tank. I just called him my favorite for the rest of this event. You know, again, you can throw the numbers out the window for both of them now. Will's, we know how good Will is. We know how many matches Adrian has played. Uh... That's going to be a fun match. It's going to be, you know, let's change balls every four games in that one because they're both going to hit the cover off of it. But, you know, again, I think Will's the favorite. He's looked that good thus far here during this individual singles event. You move to the bottom half of the draw. Let's talk about my guy Kova. Two all, going out wide for a forehand, rolls his ankle as he's trying to slide. He was concerned that he broke it in the moment, and he just... 
you know, he, he got to the, there's a huge injury timeout. Coach Dancer says, we're taking the point penalty. Let's get you wrapped. Let's get it all looked at before we put you back out there and even risk injuring you anymore. And then as all of the great ones do, Kova summons this performance where he just got a little bit more aggressive, but he also got smarter in terms of working his opponent, Alexi Galarno, who is as solid of a college tennis player and as well-rounded of a game style, as smooth of a game as you're going to find. He takes what you do best and takes it away from you. The more pace you provide him, the better he plays as well. Um, And look, Kova just became the aggressor. Took one, two steps in on the return of serve, took that ball a little bit earlier and just started mixing in some variety, getting Galarno to the outer thirds, not just playing with pace, but playing with spin, playing with variety and angle. And that's what you have to do to break the rhythm of Alexi Galarno. And Kova ends up coming back for a 4 6 6 4 6 1 victory. And, you know, again, that was the result of the day. Just given after that injury timeout, Kova's limping to the bench, and it really did look like a God help him tonight. I'm sure his ankle looks like a freaking balloon. And, you know, again, credit to the training staff here on site. I'm sure they're going to do everything possible to have Kova ready to compete tomorrow. But why is this guy, you know, why do people think, oh, yeah, he's going to have success in the pros right away? Because of that performance, for him to be able to do that, be that successful. What a stud. Uh, again, it's a testament to his willpower. It's a testament I asked him after the match, you know, that wild card to the U.S. Open to be the start to your pro career. How much is that on your mind when you roll your ankle and you're just trying to find the adrenaline, trying to summon the strength to get through this match? And he kind of gave me a look like, Alex, you know, I usually respect you, but that was a really stupid question. What do you think? Of course that's my motivation. And, you know, again, he gets through the match in three sets. College tennis won't be the same without Alexi Galarno. Uh, I'm going to miss him. I know Wolfpack Nation is going to miss him. I think all of us college tennis fans are going to miss him because talk about epitomizing the class you want out of your college tennis athletes, your top players, and then again, the work ethic, all of the above, and he dealt with so many injuries this senior season, but... If you're asking me to bet on players to have success on the Pro Tour, he's just uh, the consummate professional. And just, again, there was no drama, no beef between these two, no close line calls, just respect and high-quality tennis. Lexi, uh, excuse me, Al- uh, Lexi, I guess you could call him that, but Alexander Kovacevic moves on to the quarterfinals, where now he's going to face number two seed Daniel Rodriguez. And ditto, I don't think I've given Rodriguez enough respect this season. To beat Daniel Kukerman in straight sets, which he did, I believe, four and six today, that's that's an excellent performance. And he just had the biggest weapons on the court. And, you know, everything I just said about Alexi, by the way, ditto for Kuki. If he's not back next season, which I don't believe he is going to be, college tennis just isn't going to be the same without him. Talk about a guy who epitomizes everything being a student athlete is supposed to be about and just his effort, his his swag on court as well. He was, he epitomizes SC tennis also, but... Man, Rodriguez is a stud. And I mean, you look at his record here this season. Daniel Rodriguez has been, you know, so, so good. I believe he's 17 and 4 for South Carolina. And just, again, big serve, big forehand, can do a lot of things well. If Kova's not feeling it, Rodriguez, I mean, if he is feeling his ankle, I suppose. Rodriguez is just going to straight up beat him tomorrow. And so that's a really fun matchup. That's going to be a tough one. And again, I didn't see as much as that one as I would have liked because I was on the call for tennis one, but it's a really good win by Daniel Rodriguez. Now, two matches I did get to see, 
you know, Sam Riffis is here, folks. He's playing his best tennis. It's reminiscent of Jameer Jenkins in 2013 when he made his run to the final. Just that that confidence you get, that borderline hubris you get after winning the team event, clicking throughout that event. You carry it over into the individuals. And look, he dropped the first set against Nate Ponwith where he looked horrible. He went down a set and break in his first round match. He dropped the first set yesterday to Andre Martin as well. Today, it was all business. And, you know, his opponent, Sifa Satando Mansi, who is going to get that banner up at the Atkins Tennis Center, who's also my guy. I freaking love Seeps. I cannot emphasize how big a fan I am of him, his personality. To see him be the leader or one of the leaders for that Illinois team next year is going to be such a pleasure. Assuming Coach Dancer will have me back on the ones and twos. I hope he does. I, uh, I'm a big fan of, a fan of Brad's as well. That's a story for another time. But look, Riffis took it to him, and I've said it before. The bigger the stage, the bigger the match, the better the opponent, the better the Sam Riffis. And you get to understand when you watch him for a week consecutively why he was the number one, number two recruit in his class coming into college, why so many people have thought so much of his game for so long. It's just so smooth. The forehand, the backhand, backhand slice, the serve, his willingness to move forward, his creativity. He's got all of the skills and just, again, everyone's supposed to come back to Florida next year. If Riffis wins this event, do you turn down U.S. Open prize money to come back to Florida? I know how how much he loves being a Gator. I know how much he loves being on campus in Gainesville. And just that'll be a question because Sam Riffis is playing well enough to win this event. And now he's got Val Vachero, who was awfully impressive in his three-set win against Riki Hijikata. And much like Blumberg, it's very straightforward for Vachero. You're going to get big serves, big forehands, a decisive tennis player. People on the grounds like Rinky Hijikata's game as much as anyone else out there. And I have to say, I'm in that camp. When it looks good for Rinky, it looks so good. And stories of his work ethic are legendary. And just, again, he's a guy who's already won matches in Australian Open qualifying. He's a guy who can do a little bit of everything. But Vastro just had the bigger weapons on this day. And when you're playing in 95-degree heat, the ability to make points short, to not have to make the match super physical as Rinky had to do to win points easily against Vastro, that's going to make the difference. And ultimately today it did. Vashro advances to face Riffis. Those are two guys who have been so good this year. You know, again, uh, Riffis, I think, overall in the year 21-4. and four, You look at for Vashro this season, he's 17-3 and three in dual matches, 22-5 and five overall. That's a really fun set of quarterfinals. Again, it's going to be Draxel taking on DeCamps. It's going to be Vashro taking on Riffis. Uh, Kavasevich taking on Rodriguez. Boitan taking on Plumberg. There are a couple of players you could sub in and out, but that feels like the right eight to conclude this season, and that's always a good feeling, of course, heading into the home stretch of the college tennis season. Now, that's the talk on the men. Let's go to the women. I'm not going to be able to break down each of these matches as closely because, again, just timing-wise and what we were watching on the Tennis One app, uh, we were watching the men's matches a little bit closer today than we were the women's. But a couple of the women's matches I got to catch a bunch of. I do want to break them down now. Holy crap, is Emma Navarro good? And I know I talked about this during the team event. I thought her three-set match versus Katarina Jokic in the round of 16 was as good as any number one singles match I saw all week long in the women's team event. But, you know, Luke Jensen put it best. I don't care men's tennis, women's tennis, whatever it is. If you can hit your forehand that heavy, you're just going to have success as a tennis player. And she just had the bigger weapon. She was the better player than Meg Kowalski today. And look... 
Meg Kowalski epitomizes everything college tennis is supposed to be about. Grit, toughness, tenacity. I know those are all synonyms, but that's what she displays on the court. She's going to make a million balls. She's going to make you, you know, earn it. She's going to make you beat her. And that's what Navarro did. She just straight up beat her. And, you know, Navarro was, I believe, a junior French Open finalist. And, you know, obviously her parents owned Charleston, which you only say obviously because she got that wild card into the event where she was then able to make the quarterfinals, which is on your own merit, folks. There's no nepotism there when you're in the freaking quarterfinals or winning. It may be not at the quarterfinals, but I know she won a match there. She was exceptional. Uh, and you can just see why it works. Again, that forehand jumps through the court and just, you know, it passes the eye test with flying colors. She was excellent today. Uh, and now she's got a really fun matchup as well. as She's going to take on Paris Corley, who I believe is, I want to say the first, did I say Corley? I, I think it's Paris Corley. That's who she's playing uh, for LSU. Let's see here in the drama. Right here, I don't know, it gets a little blurry. I think I might have butchered the pronunciation there. Anyways, look, she's going to face someone in Paris who has been really, really good here this season, uh, in this individual event. You talk what the LSU player has been able to do. Three set wins for her in her first two matches. She knocked out Amir Kyle. She knocked out Alexa Noel after being down a set in a break, although it is worth noting that Noel uh, did, I believe, roll her ankle. But, I mean, look, you talk about Paris Corley. Yes, it is Paris Corley. 6-4, 6 love win for her today. She was... I mean, to get through these first sets, I can't emphasize this enough. It was so freaking hot out there today. 90, 95 degrees sun beating down on you on those uh, college center, collegiate center courts here in Lake Nona. And it didn't matter. The people who got the, you know, for Corley, she got that first set. She ran with it. And, you know, again, she, I do think Navarro's got the bigger weapons. Navarro enters tomorrow as a favorite. But the way Paris Corley competes, was so, so, so noticeable. And again, she she can absolutely win the match. We're in the quarterfinals, folks. Any of these people can knock off anyone. That one's going to be sensational. But the match of the day tomorrow on the women's side is Abby Forbes versus our defending champion, Stella Perez-Somariba uh, of Miami. And look, EPS was excellent today against Alexa Graham. She beat her in straight sets. She withstood uh, Graham's first strike tennis. Anytime Graham loaded up on that forehand going inside in, inside out, whatever it may be, Stella was able to track that ball down, redirect it with pace, get it into the outer thirds, get Alexa Graham stretching. She just keeps coming. I mean, Estella Perez-Somariba, why was she the NCAA champion? She competes as well, if not better, than every player in the draw. And again, It's not super flashy. Her ability to get outside of the ball, work you to the outer thirds, get you stretched and make you uncomfortable. And again, counterpunch, that's what she does so well. It's not huge plus one tennis. And, you know, again, the serve does leave a little bit to be desired, but her ability to get returns deep and on your feet. And then, you know, again, just she can do a little bit of everything. Forehand, backhand, you provide her pace. She's going to hit the heart ball harder right back at you. And she just took it to Alexa Graham. She was the better player today. There was a really fun exchange at the net between the two of them in terms of their affection and fondness for one another. Those are two people who have given everything they have these past four or five years to the game of college tennis. And obviously, ACC foes, they know each other well. But, I mean... EPS can ball, folks. And again, the way the ball explodes through the court off her backhand, off her forehand wing, the aggression of her footwork. She was excellent, thoroughly deserving of being back in the quarterfinals where now she's going to play second-year freshman sensation Abby Forbes, who I've talked about before. I'll say it again. Just watch her hit a backhand out of the corner. And you're going to be like, oh, is that what a professional athlete looks like? It's got to be, right? Because that's what Abby Forbes is. And does she still have that, you know, that big plus one ball, that aggressive shot, the big serve? No, she's still developing it, but she can do a little bit of everything. She's so 
good when she's in the outer thirds of the court, so good with her defensive skills and turning that defense into offense and just wearing you down. And you know who the Heat hasn't affected at all? Abby Forbes, who's been sensational. Look, that's a changing of the guard sort of match in Forbes versus EPS. Forbes is coming. Second-year freshman, EPS, the fifth-year COVID super senior. That match has everything. And it's a pick as well because they've both been sensational this season. They've both been at the number one positions for their teams. They've both lost, I believe, fewer than five matches on the year. Oh, yeah, I'm locked into that one. And by the way, all of our singles matches at noon tomorrow. It's going to be, I believe, just me steering the ship on the Tennis One Apple. That There's a chance I can cajole Mark Lucero to join me once again. But that match is going to be sensational. We've also got a fun match tomorrow as uh, I believe you look for Janice Chin of Oregon Women's Tennis. She makes the quarterfinals, knocking off talented Duke's sophomore uh, Georgia Drummy in straight sets. And I mean, you talk about Oregon women's tennis, right? That is not something that drops off as a powerhouse. You're not thinking to yourself, oh, like, well, of course, all of the great players that have come through Oregon's tennis at the time. But look, Janice Chin becomes the first duck to reach the NCAA quarterfinals in history. And it's a credit to her. She just withstood that first strike, that big forehand of Georgia Drumming, was able to find the Drummy backhand and wasn't phased by, you know, the lefty game style of Drummy. And so now she's got a tough test in Anna Rogers, who... You know, became the first NC State player to make the, I believe, quarterfinals here now in program history. I don't think. I know she's the first to make the quarterfinals in program history, and I just love the way she competes. I just love the way she puts a million balls in the court. She does try to play aggressive, take the ball early, get to the net, but if she can't, she's just going to stick around, and you know, she dropped that, uh, She dropped her first set today against Tim Chaiwad, and in this heat, it would have been so easy to quit, to be like, you know what, I'm an All-American. I already made program history. We already made the semifinals. I'm just going to let this one go. She did not let this one go. She played so, 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 so well uh, down the home stretch of that match. It was 6-1 in the third set towards Rodgers, and now she's the favorite to make the semifinals, right? Because Janice Chin is not someone who is seated coming into this event and is not someone who, like Rogers, has competed against the best of the best of the ACC week in, week out. Although it is worth noting, you know, for Chen, she's played Michaela Gordon, Abby Forbes, uh, Selma Ewing of USC. She's certainly gotten plenty of good matches in this season, but I think Anna Rogers is about to find herself potentially in the NCAA semifinals in singles, and that's crazy given the fact that she went 0-3 during the team event, but that's also a testament to her talent. That's, you know, again, the top right section of the draw and last, but certainly not least, Let's talk about the GOAT, Sarah Davatilla. He was down in early break, ends up knocking off Jessica Fela in straight sets, sending the Pepperdine Waves and their fantastic 2021 season to the history books. I mean, I swear to God, I've never seen the GOAT lose. It's true. I don't think I've ever seen the GOAT lose in person because she went undefeated in the 2020 National Indoors. She went undefeated in the 21 National Indoors. She went undefeated in the team event. She just beats you. Early, on the rise, unconventional. You can be up a break. She's going to break you right back. She competes so well, so hard. And then again, she it's indoor Michigan tennis. That's why it's always going to have a fond spot in my heart. Uh, her ability to take that ball early, flat, up the line, early, flat, cross court. She can just do a little bit of everything. And again, she just competes so well. I mean, she's the favorite tomorrow against Roska of Vanderbilt, who got a three-set win today over Duke's Kelly Chen. And, you know, that match was super, super physical. You could tell on Roska's body, just she was like, I'm done. I am cooked after this match. I left it all out on the court. You know who you never want to have dead legs against? Sarah Davitella. And I'm telling you all now, 
North Carolina. I'm going to keep saying it on this podcast so that you guys hold me to this prediction. And then when it's right, you can say, you know what, Alex, for one of those rare moments where you were correct, North Carolina is winning a national championship here in Orlando. I don't know if it's going to be men's singles, men's doubles, women's singles, women's doubles, but they are winning a national championship. It's going to happen, folks. Mark my word. But again, Davatilla advances. She is now going to play Vanderbilt Toroska, who, I mean, we all know how good Vanderbilt has been these past 10, 15 years in the women's tennis landscape. Not a shock to see another Commodore end up in the quarterfinals. But those are your singles matches. Now, again, who has impressed me most in doubles? And I got to head over back to the site so that I can watch tonight's doubles action. I mean, guess what? Blumberg and Cernok won, and they won 6-2, and two, and now they're going to have uh, an interesting duo in the South Florida duo, I believe, of Bolipali and Wachik. Uh but they they looked good. I thought Lon Fronson looked as good as I thought they would, but they've got a really tricky one tomorrow, a team they're familiar with in Oklahoma State's Hud and Votzel. That's a 7 p.m. match. Walton and Harper. They're the dark horse ones to beat uh, Scully and John's 0-4. That's a hell of a win. Martin and McDaniel, by the way, is who they play next. Andre Martin might be the best doubles player in the draw. He's just freaking good, man. Like, that's not true. Will Blumberg's the best, but he's just freaking good. And, like, that's an upset alert because they've probably got maybe a little bit more pop than the duo of Walton and Harper, but Martin and McDaniel can also play. That's a fun one. We've got UCF still alive in doubles as well. Hildebrand and Pavel escaping three sets over uh, the Alabama duo. Now they're going to play a South Alabama team, Clovis and Marsol. Um, I mean, up and down the roster. McCormick and Neve, that's a lot of power coming at you. Gray and Famba for Smith and Kukerman is your match of the day in the round of 16. That's going to be sensational. Obviously, Sam Cullen, Reynolds, we know how good they are. If I didn't mention the team of Bride and Zinc. Alex Mancilla is going to text me and be like, dude, you know what I think about Bride and Zinc. They get to the net so early. That's that's a Michael Azaparty voice, super producer, behind the scenes person who I run a lot of ideas at here at Crack Rackets. That's not Alex Mancilla's voice, but you know, every so often I gotta throw that in there. Just I gotta make sure my Michael impression still works. Anyways, who was most impressive yesterday? <sighs> I mean, it's not even that Blumberg and Cernok played their best tennis. I would say Smith and uh, Smith and Kuki looked great against. Yeah, that, that's who your most impressive team was. It was Smith and Kuki beating Carlo, uh, Juan Carlos Aguilar and Bjorn Thompson three and zero, and then you know the second most impressive team was Walton and Harper, and then McMartin and McDaniel. I'd say to beat Thompson and Rodriguez three and three. That's a damn good win. But again, a lot of fun matches scheduled here today. You look at the other matches we have on the women's side. I believe your number one seeds, Parazinskate, uh, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, so I'm not even going to try and say it. Your number one seeds out of Kentucky. The match of the day tomorrow for them, and there was a three set. They take on Alicia Bolton, Jada Hart, who were number one in the country last year and are as good as anyone when they're clicking and when they're in form, and they do seem to be clicking, and they do seem to be in form. So, you know, they advance, uh, and again, that's a very much an upset alert. I would argue Bolton and Hart should be the favorites. And by the way, the winner of that match plays the winner of our second-best match on the day, Beck and Barankova taking on Alana Smith, Anna Rogers. That match, uh, you know my fondness for NC State Wolfpack, that number one doubles team, if you've listened to this podcast before. You know, Jones and Scotty for North Carolina, the number four seeds, they survive. It's not a conventional double team, but they do put a bunch of balls in play, uh, and who else was impressive throughout the day? Oh, Rosie Johnson, Emma Navarro, I thought they were really good in a three-set win over Giovara and Ivanov of California, 
Big upset for the Oklahoma duo of Corley and Corley. They knock off Flores and Jones, 7-6-6-3. It was such a tough NCAA individual tournament for the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. I feel like Jones and Flores deserve to go out in a more ceremonious fashion than they did. But nevertheless, that was an upset. You had the team of Arsenal and Jokic upset by Garcia and Das of Florida State. Of course, as I mentioned, Davitella never loses. Her and Cam Moore now a rematch. Again, or not a rematch. Well, no, because at the National Indoors, they didn't play. But all right, I, let me take that back. Bolton Hart versus the number one seeded team from Kentucky. That's match of the day 1B. Match of the day number 1A is Lulu, uh, Lulu Sun and Kylie Collins taking on Davitella and Mora. That match... Mwah. That match is just that's a that's a fantastic matchup, and that's a 7 p.m. prime timer, folks. So very much looking forward to getting over to the national facility for that event. But again, up and down the road, are there any teams I haven't mentioned yet? I said back in Barankova, Zane and Kessler, the number five through eight seeds from Florida, they look really good. They're going to take on Subash and Munera from Virginia. I mean, Kozarov, Adams of Furman, shout out to Furman, a fantastic season, nice to see them advance, Daniel and Riemi, who at times were better than Rodgers and Smith this year for NC State, they've advanced as well, you know, again, up and down the roster, we're getting the sort of matchups we deserve, and the tennis is only going to get better from here and again. You can catch all of the action for this NCAA individual event on the Tennis One app. I will be back for two CrowdView Lives tomorrow. Noon, just going to be me, potentially Mark Lucero as well, steering the ship and geeking out during the singles. At 6 p.m., we're going to bring in the fancy crew, Andy Katz and all of the big names as well that the T1 people and all of us here are so enjoying uh, getting the chance to work with. So be on the lookout for all of that tomorrow. I'm sure I'll tweet out the links before we get rocking and rolling as well. But also, worth noting, I know what some of you are thinking. Alex, French Open, five days away. You going to talk about it at all? As I mentioned at the top, Podcast with Ben Rothenberg is scheduled. We're recording that 4 p.m. tomorrow. So whether that's out 7 p.m. Wednesday night or early Thursday morning, you're going to have that for your listening. Gil Gross, Mark Lucero, our usual cast of characters, going to be joining us to ensure all of you are ready for the action. And again, in those preview podcasts, we'll incorporate the conversations about Pass winning last week, Paula Badosa-Jaber, Coco Goff, and all of our 1,000-level champions as well. We're going to work all of that in. Is it Iga Sviantex to lose on the women's side? Can anyone challenge Rafa on the men's side? These are all topics we are going to explore on these podcasts moving forward. But again, for now, I am still here in Orlando. And as such, I wanted to provide you guys what I am watching here on the ground because you can watch it all for free day in, day out, whether you're at work, you can sneak it on your phone, whether you're at school, you can sneak it on your phone. You can go to tennis.one on your laptop as well if you want to watch it on that screen. But you can follow all of the fantastic end to this 2021 college tennis season with our friends on the Tennis One app. A shout out to Kristen, Randissimo, Jordan, Rachel, Laura, the entire team for their tolerance of my busha throughout the course of the week. And again, be on the lookout for all of that content. And if you have missed anything, my recap of the team event, uh, any of our conversations we've had with the coaches, players on the ground, you can find it all on our website, CrackedRackets.com. You need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at CrackedRackets. You want to message me directly, I am at GreatShotPod. A shout out, as always, to super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff for the of an any job they do day in day out and I love Jordan I loved the people I worked with throughout the USTA 
I do miss West stuff. I, I just think, you know, the relationship between a host and their producer is a special one. And no one understands me quite like West stuff does. So it's actually been a little bit weird because sometimes I do things that I think West stuff can anticipate in advance. And then I'll do it. And then I'm like, oh, I, I probably should tell Jordan that I need to do that in advance. And, you know, again, Jordan and I are finding our rhythm. Very, very fun to work with him. But I miss you stuff. And I think he knows that. I haven't seen my boy Quavo, Crack Rackets Dog, in a couple of weeks as well. So shout out to the super producers as always for the job that they do shout out to our friends at midwest sports go to midwestsports.com use that promo code cr15 to get 15 percent off your order free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding 75 dollars plus of all a free can of wilson extra duty tennis balls and then last but not least again if you're in orlando you're at lake nona you want to come say hello please do so before it's too late but with all of that in mind for our super producers, Fligner and Westoff, for our friends at Midwest Sports, our friends at the Tennis One app, and from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. We'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.